Welcome to the Light Bears Institute podcast, where we seek to improve biblical literacy by discussing key storylines and themes in scripture. Welcome back to another Light Bearers podcast. My name is Brent Art, the campus director of Light Bearers Fayetteville. And today I'm joined by another Fayettevillian in uh, Josh Malden, who's the associate pastor of First Baptist Fayetteville. Josh, thanks for, for being here today, man. Glad to be here, man. Thanks for having me. Yep. Just to, to frame up this recording a little bit, for those, some of you listening, this will be a highly anticipated recording because this was a student-requested podcast. So a couple of weeks ago, Josh uh, came and, and did a great job on Worldview at our institute class, and we had a ton of students ask if we recorded that talk. We did not, and yet uh, Josh so graciously is uh, joining us here today in our little light bearer studio to uh, to rehash that, that talk. And so... Uh, uh, appreciate you, man, taking the time to do that. I'm so glad to be a part. I'm so glad it was well-received and helpful and, and glad to continue that conversation. Yeah. Well, just to kind of kick this to you, we had some students even after the the Institute saying, hey, I've heard that phrase worldview before. I just never knew how to define it. And so we'll probably start there. What is a worldview or how would you define a worldview? Yeah, I'll define it, maybe describe it might be even a better word to, yeah. to use. And so let me give two descriptions of what we typically mean when we say worldview. One has to do with story or narrative. So to say a worldview is a story that shapes how you understand your world. So everyone is operating from some kind of story or narrative in which they interpret reality. That our lives are a story which fits into a cultural story, a story around us, which is one of the reasons why story is so important to us. Like the reason stories resonate with us, why movies and TV and streaming are a billions on billions of dollar right. industry is because we resonate with story. That's right. And one of the reasons we resonate with story is because we inhabit a story. Like our lives are playing out in a story and there's, there's a defining story for everyone. Everyone has a story that is the most important story, the true story, the real story, and that's how they make sense of their world. That's how they figure out who they are, what they're supposed to do, what's good, right, true, and beautiful. So I think probably the, the best way to start thinking about worldview or talking about worldview is this idea of the narrative or the story in which you understand your world. Uh, another way is to, to think about it in the idea of a lens. It's the lens in which you interpret reality. Um, so guys like James K. Smith and others uh, may, maybe describe it this way. It's it's a vision of the good life. Hmm. So how do I determine what I want my life to be or what I think is, to use those same terms again, good, right, true, beautiful. Everybody's got a lens in which they're interpreting what those things are. And so you can see why two people who live in the same place, who grew up in the same place, went to the same schools, maybe have a lot of things in common and yet they reach very different conclusions on any given issue. And you say, well, how does that happen? Well, that happens because they're operating from two different stories. Right. That happens because they're operating from two different worldviews, two different lenses in which they determine, is this good or bad? Is this right or wrong? Is this true or a lie? So those would be my two main descriptions, a story or narrative in which you interpret your life or the lens in which you understand and interpret reality. And and, and I, that's... That's great. Uh, um, and so you mentioned, and, and I love that, right? That lens, uh, that lens is, is not something that, that we probably in a conscious perspective look through, but it's subconscious, right? And so you would say that 
everyone everywhere has a worldview. Absolutely. Everyone has a worldview. And so we like to divide people, especially like in a Christian context, we like to think in terms of like Christian, non-Christian, believer, atheist, like whatever, how all these different ways that we would separate out and say, here's how I'm different than you, but here's how we're all the same. We all have a worldview. Like the most non-religious, atheistic, naturalistic person you know is still operating from a worldview. There is some story that is telling them through which they are interpreting what's real, what's true, what's right, what's good, what's beautiful. Absolutely everyone has a worldview. But you also pointed out something significant there, that most of us are operating in a worldview that is at either unconscious or subconscious or right. some, some level like that. Like most of us aren't consciously thinking about, oh, this is my story. This is the story through which I'm operating. So this is a great book by a guy named uh, Ian Michael Cron on, on the Enneagram. And I know people come down in different places on the Enneagram. I said this in the, when we did the teaching, like some people think it's like the greatest thing ever. And some people think <laughs> right. it's like Satan worship. You right, know? Right. Like, we talk about the Enneagram, these, you know, what number are you in the Enneagram? Well, this guy, Ian Michael Cron, he does this great, he has this great book and great teaching where he says um, that those nine Enneagram models, they're actually stories. Like whatever mm. your number is, is identified with a narrative that you are prone to believe about yourself. And, and I was pretty skeptical of the Enneagram until I heard his description of it and saying, actually what we're talking about, because he's dealing with people in recovery ministry. That's, right. what, that's what he was doing. And he said, what I kept finding was when I found people who were addicted to drugs, alcohol, whatever, that their main problem was not the addiction, the drugs, and the alcohol, is that they were operating from the wrong narrative. Mm-hmm. They believed a story about themselves that was not true. And so he uses the Enneagram as the map for that to say, here are nine stories that you you buy into one of them. You believe one of these stories about yourself. You're operating from a narrative. And what he found was, as I talked to people in, in addiction, that just making them aware mm-hmm. of their worldview, of their story, of the story that they were believing helped change things. And I think that's true of all of us. Most of us don't start at a place where we consciously think, oh, this is why I think this is right and this is wrong. This is why I'm drawn to this or drawn to that. There's something subconscious or unconscious that's happening in our lives, but it all comes back to there's a story I believe. There's a lens through which I'm looking, even if I don't know it's there. You hinted at this a little bit of of what is good, true, right, and beautiful in this worldview or lens, unconscious, subconscious, what are maybe some factors that help shape that? Obviously, I think biblically that there's an aspect we see in, in Romans, we've exchanged the truth about God for a lie. So in some ways we believe what we want to believe, but what are some factors maybe that unconsciously are shaping our worldviews? Yeah. Well, one, I think that is really prevalent in, in our world because we consume so much media Every story you listen to, watch, stream, movies, TV, podcasts, music, things that you don't think are influencing your worldview are influencing your worldview. Every story that you watch, every hero that you cheer for, every villain that you root against mm. is shaping your worldview. And so I shared it at the, the Institute that I went to see the Barbie movie with my daughter right. <laughs> and uh, because my wife did not want to go see the Barbie movie. So she convinced me, we looked it up. Okay, okay here's what's going on. So we go see the Barbie movie, which was not my favorite movie ever, but I, <laughs> I am not the demographic for, right. for the Barbie movie, right? Like guys in their mid forties. Uh, and so, but I go with my 12 year old daughter, 
we're leaving the movie and she says, uh, dad, did you like the movie? And now I, now I have a choice to make, like, how honest do I want to be with mm-hmm. my 12? Cause what, I, cause my whole goal for the day is, uh, let's make some memories together. So my response was, there were a lot of messages in that movie mm. and I didn't like most of them. And she said, well, uh, I just like the movie. Like I don't really, I wasn't thinking about the messages. I just like the movie and I let that go. But in my heart, what I was thinking was that's impossible. Like when you are participating in a story by watching it and cheering for the hero or cheering against the villain that is shaping your worldview. So I think media plays a big part of it. I also like your upbringing is a big part of it. So that's one of the things that Cron talks about in his book. Like there, there are messages you receive as a child about how you find your value. Like what makes me valuable? What gets me attention? What brings me shame? Mm. And that begins to inform your narrative. So there's, there's your upbringing, there's the media around you. And I think just the cultural air that we breathe, we, we want to say, that we are going to be independent. We want to say that I'm going to be authentic. None of us are. None of us are truly independent. None of us are truly authentic. We are, we are shaped by the cultural air that we breathe. That's right. And not just in the media, not just from your parents, but from your peers, from social media. Like none of us want to want the crowd coming after us. So most of the time we say, what's the crowd doing? I'll just follow the crowd, which is what Paul says in Ephesians chapter two, that we were following the course of this world, right? right? Like we go with the flow and that shapes our worldview. Yeah, that's good. So story lens, and, and you, you hinted at this, I, 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 forgive me, I forgot the, the, the author that you're, you're maybe pulling this from, but that phrase, what, what is good and true and right and beautiful. When we think about a worldview or maybe the components that, that are in a worldview are those them? Are there other components that that kind of are, are in our worldview? Yeah, great question. I, I would follow a guy named Gregory Kokel, who wrote a book called The Story of Reality, which is which is really about worldview and, and the Christian worldview and really defending the Christian worldview. And he identifies that every worldview has, has four major parts. Number one, how and why the world began. Hmm. So we're trying to answer the question, how and why do we exist? So every human being on the planet on some level wonders that. Like, how did I get here and why am I here? So how, as an individual, but then like just as human beings in general, how and why uh, do we exist? How and why did the world begin? Second part of it would be the main problem we all face. So what's wrong with us? Because we know something's wrong with us and we know the world's broken. Like no, nobody's looking at themselves and all around the world and saying, everything's great. Right. Like when we look <laughs> at disasters and war, we know something's wrong with the world. And if we're honest, we know something's wrong with us. So that's a major part of our worldview is the main problem we all face. What's wrong with us or the world? Third part of it is the solution to our main problem. So how and why are we here? How did we get here? What's our problem? And then the solution is, well, how do we fix it? What's the solution for what's wrong with us and what's wrong with the world? And then a piece that maybe we often leave out, but I think this is really important, is the results of the, of the solution. Hmm. So if our worldview says, here's the main problem, and now I think the solution is this. What would actually happen if that solution became true? What, what would happen if we actually fixed what we think the main problem is? Because that's a major part of your worldview. Like, where is this all going? So asking the question this way, what will the world look like when the main problem is fixed? That's good. So that's, those are, so that's Kokel's main ideas. So our origin, how, how did the world begin? What's our main problem? What's the main solution? And then what would the results of that solution be? So those are... The, as far as components of a worldview, kind of to, to 
to bring it back from an institute perspective or a Christian worldview, what would a a Christian worldview compose of kind of using that metric there? Sure. And so what we have in the scripture, what we have in the Bible is a narrative. That's right. And sometimes we lose that. Sometimes we forget that. Like sometimes we just think like we fall in love with the book of Romans, which of course the book of Romans is important and great, but we think of the Bible as propositional truths, right? You're a sinner. Jesus is the savior. Trust in Jesus for salvation. Here's the results of that. Well, we see that throughout the scripture, but we see it in a narrative. Like it's telling a story. And what is it telling a story of? Well, I think the the biblical story breaks down in four major components, creation, fall, redemption, and consummation. Mm -hmm. And that's where all those questions are answered. So how and why does the world exist? That's the very first thing we're told in the biblical story, that God created the world and he created it good. God spoke the world into creation. He spoke us into creation. He created human beings in his image with inherent value, dignity, and purpose. So why do we believe as Christians what we believe about people? Because we believe they're created in the image of God, the story of creation. Why does the world matter? Because God created it, right? And so there's, there's the start of the story. God created everything. He created everything good. In particular, he created human beings in his image with inherent dignity and value. So our views of things like abortion, euthanasia, you know, so, so taking life in the womb, ending life through euthanasia, our views on war or capital punishment, all these things, they're all influenced by our understanding that God creates human beings and he creates them in his That's own right. image, right? Yeah. So creation, well, what's the main problem? Well, the main problem is the fall. Mm-hmm. Genesis chapter three, sin enters the world and all the harmony of God's perfect creation in Genesis one and two is undone by humanity's sin. And so now you have not harmony, but you have a brokenness in God's relationship with humanity humanity's relationship with each other and humanity's relationship with creation Hmm. and everything we've ever experienced that's been wrong with the world ultimately is a result of that of man's rebellion against god so what's wrong with us we are broken in need of a savior so there are some competing worldviews out there that say the problem is not in me the problem is them the problem is out there but a christian worldview says very clearly the problem is in me so what we see in genesis chapter 3 where, where sin enters the world and brokenness enters the world. And you compare that with something like Romans 3, where Paul takes us on a journey through the Old Testament, summarizing that we're all sinners, like from head to toe. All of us are completely, no mm-hmm. one seeks after God. No one does right. No, not one. We ultimately stand before God guilty. That's our main problem. And all the other problems stem from that. So creation, fall, is that the end of the story? What's the solution? Well, that's where the biblical story is leading us, to the solution of Christ. Where's our redemption? Our redemption is not in that we can fix ourselves, that we can come up with a solution, but that God sends his son. His son lives the life that we could not live. He lives true righteousness, but then he dies sacrificially in our place and he rises victoriously from the dead. Amen. There's our solution. And every other problem and how we fix every other problem has to start there, right? Because that's our main problem and our main solution. And then what happens as a result when Uh, when salvation uh, comes. Well, there's some things yet to happen that Jesus will return at the end of history. And what will Jesus do when he returns? He will bring full salvation to his people and final judgment on those who reject him. And so we see at the end of the biblical story, Revelation 21 and 22, what will happen when the solution is fully enacted? No pain, no tears, nothing accursed, no sin, right? Living again in perfect harmony between 
humanity and God, humanity in each other, and humanity in the new creation. That's the biblical story. It is presenting to us a worldview and how to understand where we come from, who we are, what's wrong with us, what the solution is, and where we're headed. That's right. You know, I, um, it's funny, I mean, mention that of, and for those listening, for, for those students listening, just even practically why this matters, right? It's just, a, I mean, a, a biblical worldview shapes so much. And so just to, to give a quick example, uh, we've got uh, uh, some friends who are parents just like my wife and I, and how we discipline our kids, how we rear our kids is very different because to what you said, that this biblical worldview of sin, that there's a belief for us biblically that my child's greatest need is not to, to necessarily protect them from the outside evil, but it's that, as Proverbs would say, folly is bound to their heart, that they are in need of a savior, that, that they have a sinful heart and they need Christ to save them. Whereas our friends who are not Christians, well, they're, they're kind of this morally innocent that, that just need to yeah. be protected. And how you go about that is drastically different. How we parent is different because of, of that worldview belief that the problem is, at least from a Christian worldview for our kiddos, is that they have a heart that is against the Lord until, Lord willing, the Lord saves them. Whereas for our friends, it's well, the problems out there. The problem is not, not in my kid's heart. It's out there. Right. Well, that matters how we understand scripture and even how we parent just on a practical level. So that's huge. Yeah. In every major issue that we're dealing with right now, issues of identity, gender, sexuality, marriage, they're all influenced by which story do you think is, is right? Which story do you think is true? So even on an issue with marriage, we deal with college students. So we're always talking about dating, marriage. I'm always doing premarital counseling or involved in somebody's wedding. And when we prepare a couple for marriage, we want that to be from a Christian worldview. We want them to understand what it means to be a husband and wife based on God's creative design and what we see in Genesis chapter two, but the reality that they are a sinner who's marrying another sinner, that there's still indwelling sin in both of you. So you don't have this idealistic view of marriage and unrealistic expectation of what it's going to be like because you're both broken by sin, but redemption being the key here that your marriage is designed to actually reflect the kind of relationship that Jesus has with the church, That's Ephesians right. 5, 22 through 33. So you want this redemptive view of marriage and your marriage is for a lifetime, but one day it will give way to what it points to, the relation, the eternal relationship between Jesus and his church. So a Christian worldview is going to shape how you understand marriage and parenting, like you were saying. And I, all these things it's based on, well, do I believe that the biblical story is true? That's right. Is it the defining reality of my life? So you meet with a ton of people, obviously engage with college students a lot. Maybe talk a little bit about maybe some, some other worldviews that are, that are maybe common for college-age students right now uh, that, that you're seeing in your conversations. Yeah, and I'll give you one that I think was the most popular maybe, I don't know, 10, 20, maybe even 50 years ago. And I think the one that's most popular today. So here's a couple of competing ones. Number one is exclusive naturalism. And so this viewpoint would say there is no God because the physical universe is ultimate with no purpose or meaning. So this is the scientific method is the defining story of my life. And I'm not against the scientific method. Like right. I really appreciate modern science, especially when I'm sick or one of my children are sick, you know, and we need medical attention. I'm really grateful for modern science. But the scientific method is not a good worldview because it doesn't apply to everything. The scientific method was intended to be able to take something that you can 
test and repeat and see the results of that, right? Not to say if it doesn't meet the scientific method requirements, then it can't be true. If that's your worldview, you have a really limited worldview. So previous generations, these are famous guys like Richard Dawkins, mm-hmm. you know, and other naturalists who would say, we only believe what we can see. And we categorically reject anything miraculous or supernatural. So the world could not have been created by God. The world ultimately is just one big cosmic accident. But most people don't consider the implications of that worldview. They don't consider that, okay, if that's true, if, it, if science explains everything, if this is all completely natural and nothing supernatural ever happened, there's no God behind any of this, then your life and my life actually have no purpose and no value. And in any call for justice, it doesn't make any sense because that's inconsistent with your worldview because you are of no more value than a snail on the sidewalk because you're a cosmic accident and so is that snail. And so you don't matter any more than anything else, right? But that was kind of a, a past view of naturalism. There is no God. Everything can be explained completely by natural means and by the scientific method. I think what's more popular today would not be exclusive naturalism, but individual autonomy, which means I decide what's right. I decide what's good, right, true, and beautiful. So if naturalism says there is no God, this expressive and individual autonomy is I am God. I determine ultimate reality. So my thinking uh, or feeling is ultimate, and I alone determine purpose or meaning. And I think... If you're not operating from a Christian worldview, the most popular worldview I would expect to find on on a typical college campus, on our college campus, would be that. And maybe, again, unconscious, like most people wouldn't say it exactly the way that I said it, but if I press them about how they make their decisions or how they determine what's right and wrong, it will ultimately come back to, well, this is how I feel. That's right. Well, what influenced that? No, I just decided that. This is how I feel about it. Yeah, is it... um was it Descartes that, that had the, I think therefore I am. It's, it's almost a, I feel therefore I am. Yeah. 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 You know, I, uh, I was reading, uh, Jean-Paul Sartre. There's a clip or article about him a couple months ago and you know, the, the existentialism, this French philosopher thinker, and, and even that working definition of existentialism is that your essence precedes your existence. And you press on that a little bit of that, that your feeling and, and what you feel really drives your purpose in existence. Well, that's not what the Bible says at all. And we get in a world of trouble. And so this is this is not some anti-Moana rant, but even my kids watching the movie Moana. And, and, and there's this line that the grandma says uh, that you may hear a voice inside. And if that voice starts to whisper to follow the farther a star, Moana, that voice inside is who you are, right? That's your essence. That's your, your purpose. Well, that's that's an outside unbiblical worldview and you think about just the, the burden of purpose being on a creature. We can't define that. Only a good creator can give purpose and meaning. And yet in today's time, we, we've punted that and try to feel and create that for ourselves. And, and no wonder our, these students are, are so anxious and depressed and we're punting the good design that the Lord has graciously given us. And, and so if, if those are some of the things that are influencing these college students and they're believing, what wisdom or advice would you give as a pastor to how do we rightly develop a Christian world? Yeah, great question. I would start with, well, first you have to trust Jesus. Like this is not about a system. This is about trusting a person. That that, that narrative, that biblical story that, that tells us what's good, right, and true, and beautiful is about Jesus. 
and we are called to trust Jesus. And so I, I don't want to assume that you, these listeners or anybody who's investigating a Christian worldview has that piece. It has to start with faith in Jesus, who is at the center of the biblical story. But then a, a really practical way, you have to consume the scripture. And I say that specifically. I, I don't mean just read the scripture. Consume the scripture. Yes, read the scripture. Read the entire Bible if you've never read the Bible all the way through. Understand it as that story of creation, fall, redemption, consummation. Memorize it, like meditate on it. And because when you memorize scripture, people say, why well, do I need to memorize scripture? I can just Google it. Because Googling it doesn't let it seep into your bones and your soul. And that's, that's right. the point, to have your worldview shaped, right? To think in a, in a biblical way. There's a, there's a category, I can't remember where I got this from, I think an article in the Gospel Coalition that talks about the difference between biblical literacy and biblical fluency. Biblical literacy says, I know the books of the Bible, and maybe I can point to a place and show where the scripture is. Biblical fluency means I think like the Bible teaches me to think. That's good. And memorizing scripture begins to shape that. Reading it regularly, memorizing it, meditating on it, being in small group Bible study, talking about it, hearing it preached and taught, consume the scripture. And that's especially important because, again, we're at a time where you're consuming so many other things. You're consuming so much social media. You're consuming so much on streaming devices, so many podcasts. The scripture has to be at the heart of that. And so consume the scripture. Let it shape your understanding of reality. Another big key is develop Christian community. Like Be in a community with other believers. Discipleship is designed by God to be a group project. And be in a community where our worldview is being shaped together. We are helping each other to know what's good, right, true, and beautiful, to believe the right things, to maybe raise our awareness of our understanding of worldview and the worldview around us. And lastly, just be aware of the other influences, like what happened with my daughter in the Barbie movie. Well, I'm not really paying attention to the messages, Dad. I just like the movie. Well, you are. Like that's the whole point of the movie is to plant messages to to help you understand what's true, right, good, and beautiful. And so I need to be aware of that. I'm not saying only watch the chosen or only read the Bible. I I don't think that would be helpful particularly, and I don't think it's realistic. So you're going to consume media, you're going to stream shows, you're going to have these other influences, but be aware of the worldview behind them so that you can identify and say, you know, I like that show, but here's where its message is different than what's true. Here's where its message is different than the Bible. Here's how the Bible would have approached that differently than what happened in that story. Yeah. And I think of uh, what Paul says in, in Romans 12, right? That's to exactly be right. Conformed That's right. to the pattern of this world, but be transformed right. by the renewing of your mind through what you're saying, through marinating and steeping in the word of God. And through Christian community in that vein. So that's that's good. Which Paul says, so that you may be able to test and approve what God's will is, that's his right. good and pleasing and perfect will. And that's not talking about God's plan for your life. It's saying, what does God want? That's right. So we let the scripture, that's exactly right. We take Romans 12 and we let the scripture shape our worldview so that we know and want what God wants. Well, I, j- just to, maybe to close here, you've quoted a few authors and in books. Uh, maybe give us just a, a few books that are helpful for, for those listening that you would recommend that, hey, this might be helpful for uh, understanding worldview. Yeah, so I mentioned Gregory Kokel, The Story of Reality. I, I, that's a great one that I would go to. James K.A. Smith does a really great job thinking through these things, a writer and thinker. Uh, he has a, a, a series of books, and the first one is called Desiring the Kingdom, and it's about how we are we are made as as people, as creatures to to love, and what we love really determines our reality and speaks to worldview in that way. 
really simple one, a guy named Trevin Wax. He has a couple of books dealing with worldview. I really like his his work, This Is Our Time, Everyday Myths in Line of the Gospel. I think it's really accessible, really easy to read, and can be really helpful. If you want to read a really thick one, then Carl Truman's um, The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self. Uh, that's I've never read as long of a book that's about sociological research, but <laughs> but it's about all those things that you were just yeah. saying about how did we get to a place where that inner person is really what we believe in most. And a great uh, application of this, Rebecca, Rebecca McLaughlin has a book called Secular Creed, Engaging Five Contemporary Claims. And it just, it talks about how do I talk to my neighbor <laughs> who believes a very different worldview than I do and how do I address their worldview? So those would be some of those that I would, that I would recommend. Well, man, appreciate it. I know there's a ton you could be doing, so I appreciate you coming back here and, and recording this for us. Thanks for having me. You've been listening to the Light Bears Institute podcast, a production of Light Bears Ministries. For more information, visit lightbears.com. Mm-hmm.